Clearly, we are not in McMinnville. So where is the Wine Crush crew? The Wine Crush crew is um, its not in Yamhill County. We are not in the Willamette Valley. We are not even in Oregon. We are in Paso Robles, California. Southern California in this beautiful valley of vineyards and olive trees and whatever else. Now, why are we here? We are here because we are interviewing two amazing people. On one hand, you have an actor, a writer, a producer, a director, a legend of Hollywood that has so many other things to go with his titles. And on the other hand, you have a Miss America. You have a Olympic torch runner, a marathon runner, a, a woman's advocate, a philanthropist. And together they make this amazing power couple that you probably know and I'm sure you definitely love. Um, who are we talking about? We are talking about the Gary Conway and Marion McKnight. So Gary and Marion are legends in their own right, both in Hollywood, the Miss America Pageant Foundation, and so many other things, but that's really not the reason why we're here. It's a great cherry on top, but we are here to really explore this vineyard, talk about the land, talk about the nutrient-rich soils, the volcano that it sits on. Shh, nobody needs to know that quite yet. We're gonna talk about that a little later. And really everything that they have going out here that makes Carmody McKnight such an incredible wine. We're not here to just talk about wine. We're here to talk about these magnificent trees. And what are these magnificent trees? These are Tuscan olive trees. And why is that so profound? Well, uh, Gary and Marion were the first ones to plant any of these trees in North America. And I had no idea how incredibly healthy and good for the body olive oil is. Good olive oil. And it's all growing in this immense, um, nutrient-rich, um, lovely soil that nobody knows about until now. This is a tale of two people. This is the, a love story. This is also a tale of um, wine and of so many things. Our interview today is going to be with the very charismatic um, Gary Conway. Um, Marion could not join us, but we really want you to know who she is. Um, she is a small town South Carolina girl that realized her dreams of being Miss America and in, in turn traveled the world. She traveled all over the United States and she was very lucky to have traveled to Europe. Um, at that point in her life, she had never had any alcohol, not a drop. And so her going to France and experience wine for the very first time is really what has inspired the dream and what Carmody McKnight is today. So let's talk about Marion a little bit deeper and get out of the Miss America thing. Um, she, um, she's a marathon runner. She carried the Olympic torch. I mean, who gets to say that? Um, she's also a philanthropist and she is an advocate for women's education. She, there's just, she is such a dynamo and she's just an amazing lady. Um, we really want to emphasize the fact that Carmody McKnight is a 50-50 partnership of Gary Conway, Mary McKnight. But we are talking about wine, we're talking about olive oil, and we're talking about Hollywood stories. From the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to Season 5 of the Wine Crush Podcast. Stories uncorked for casual wine enthusiasts around the world, featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley. Sponsored by Country Financial. 
From origin stories to terroir, here's your host, Heidi Moore. Well, Wine Crush, as you can tell, we are not in McMinnville. We have headed, um, we have headed south of the border. We are in California and we are today with a actor, a legend of Hollywood, an artist, a, a philanthropist, um, the one and only Gary Conway. Oh, I started looking around then. You mentioned Gary Conway. Yeah, that's so you. So he was talking that's about you. me. Okay. Yes, yes. All right. So, um, I'll accept that. Thank you. Well, good because you're sitting in the chair. So you're in the hot seat now. So we're, we're, you're stuck now. Um, and we're in your house. So thank you for welcoming us all in. Um, this has been really something that's been really exciting for us. I mean, oh, I forgot vineyard manager, vineyard owner, winemaker, olive oil maker. I mean, you have like a list of like titles that go with you that is really quite incredible. And, um, we really want to kind of start at the beginning and we'll get into all of that. Um, because, well, because we're going to. So I really want to start with, um, with a little bit of your art because your art is really kind of what brought you into, um, you know, LA and UCLA. And I know you came from the East coast. And so let's talk a little bit about your art and then how that kind of moved into the theatrics and the theater. And, um, we'll talk about your Hollywood career. Well, art for me, the, the define the, my life, the rest of my life. When I say the rest, uh, I was very precocious as a kid. And when I was still in junior high school at 14, around, I guess I was just starting maybe LA high school, uh, I got four scholarships to all the major art schools all in the West Coast, which were major throughout the country. And I'm assuming so that would I, be it, very, that's not common. I'd never heard of anyone getting that and how I got it. It, that, it, it occurred when I was young and mm-hmm. I didn't analyze it, that you I got that it. lucky. And uh, actually in the other room, I have some early drawings. Uh, we won't get them. That, that uh, created that for me, created that uh, awareness by the art schools. And, uh, and my parents had, of course, something to do with it urged me because they, when I was, I think in Boston, maybe age five, and I've started my very first class in Boston, the, believe it or not, the teacher or the principal of the school brought my parents in and said, your boy is very good at heart. And he just keep in mind and courage. And really it was because of my parents that my early art flourished. And it it flourished be, for many reasons, but one of the reasons is they never had a garage because we they bought a home, which they did early on. The garage became my studio. So at a very early age, I had an art studio and always had. And to this day, and you're looking at one right here. Yeah. No, not, so not every I, I kid. Knew, yeah, not every kid's parents will I give up their garage. Life was <laughs> like without yes. an art studio. I thought, yes. doesn't everybody have an well, art Well, of course studio? they do. Yes. Don't you have an art Oh, you don't? Oh, that's unusual. So, and I think, and we don't tend to do that in so many ways. If you are, are have you, what you think are, are skills and so on, it has a lot to do with the parents. For sure. Yeah, it's, and, a lot of that is that encouragement. Their early sure. awareness and, and backing. But by the way, I've never mentioned at the same time, 
I was doing all this art. I was playing the violin. Did you're you know that? You're a musician too. No, I did not know that. All right. I still have my violin back there, but I will not take it out and play it no matter how much you beg. So oh. anyway, so, Jeez, uh, and here's what happened to me. I, I, I was a very good violinist and I ended up while in junior high school as one of, I think it was three junior high school students that played in the all city LA city high school, high school orchestra. And I ended up playing in the Hollywood Bowl. And so I had a future as a violinist, believe it or not. And, uh, but what happened again, this happened, this occurred at an early age. Uh, was I going to be a violinist? Because at that point, if I had decided, yes, I want to be a violinist, that meant practicing three or four hours a day. Mm -hmm. You don't be, I'm a violinist. No, that's a lot of work. Yes. So when you see violinists, that orchestra realize what they have gone through in their life, the dedication. So I was facing that. And at the same time, I had these scholarships at this early age. And, and being, uh, which meant that I, I never, going to school was, going to school was just one thing and then going to art school. And I think I've already mentioned that my, uh, my high school, LA high school, because of my scholarships, which were unusual, allowed me to leave uh, the school at 12 o'clock and then head out to the art schools to do my scholarship. But can you imagine if I also had to be a violinist? So when so I do my scholarships to three or four, then come back and then practice four hours. What kind of life was that at age fourteen? There was there was absolutely no <laughs> you know, life to I, that. I'm painting all, and then I, and, and, so I at an early age had to make a decision. Imagine that. And that's a hard decision, especially at that kid. You know, at that age yeah. for a kid is like, do I want to be an artist? Do I want to be a musician? I love 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 yeah. music. And my and my my uncle, my who I loved so much, was with was a composer at Harvard and Berkeley, and I went with him, and so I I had this. Uh, background in music and the love of music and, and playing a violin there's nothing quite like it in life mm -hmm. and uh but i couldn't do both so were you acting at that point no, in time no, too no, but the only acting i would do at that time or did was in school and i was actually a successful actor in junior high school mm -hmm. and i did plays then so and i did wildcat willie was well, I love One the name of, of that too. Starring yes. roles, Wildcat Willie. So uh, at a very early age, and that was early, because I graduated when I was still, I think, fifteen, high school, and uh, I was uh, doing theater and playing a violin. But the theater didn't take up all your time. You, you, it took up the time when they were rehearsing the play. Then you did the play, and then there was a, a time before that. The next play, but I got, I was pretty active. Uh, I would I would say, and I was this big. Yeah, <laughs> so you're really, just, very you're small. just a little guy. So, yeah, yeah, late growth spurt. Very late. Yes. Very late. So how did that transition into? And by the way, when I was in high school, I was still a shrimp. Yeah. And then I had to join the army. In those days, you were either join or they brought you in. And when I joined the army, I had this. A growth spurt, huge growth spurt, and I went from 
whatever the hell I was, uh, to 661. And, and all, well, practically the army. Oh, well, at least it, at least it came. Yeah. Yes. You got the growth spurt eventually. So, you know, within all of that time, so that's so much stuff like compiled in just a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. Eventually, you know, the artistry and the theatrics and stuff came your way. And how did that transition? What was the first role? Oh, as far as an actor. Yes. Uh, well, I told you, junior high school, I did acting, but I never, yeah. I never, I never projected myself in this other world of, of, of being an actor because mm -hmm. that world at that point was going to movies and see what actors were like and, and watching television and it was completely apart. But, uh, one day, um, and this was just, I'm going to say after high school. Um, and I think it was right during coming back from, I, I had to join the army at that point because you were either joined up or they, they brought you in. Uh, somebody came up to me out of the blue and no, actually I did one role before. I think it was, it was, uh, it was, it was a, a film, uh, at that point by directed later on Roger Corman it was his first film. And it was uh, about the sea serpent, what have you. And I got a role there and he, it picked me out out of the blue. And then right after somebody else, <clears throat> excuse me, who was an agent came up and said, uh, you know, I think you'd be, I'd love to bring you into the studio. I think you'd be a great teenage Frankenstein. I didn't know. I don't know. That, is that a compliment that or? That's what I mean. Yes. But you had to start as a, as an ideal boy. Sure. Because that was the whole point of the film. And then he became teenage Frankenstein. But at that point, it was, uh, and all you'll be paid for. And actually, it was pretty, when I was in college, the, the job I had at that time, I was a, uh, um, I was actually, the only job I had during that time, but I was, um, uh, it was the roller derby. I was brought in with a bunch of people and we, we would stop fights. So that was my original <laughs> you were a bouncer. job. Basically yeah. a roller derby stop, bouncer. Stopping yes. fights. Yes. And I thought, this is a much better occupation than stopping fights. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So anyway, I got that role and, uh, and the rest was just, one after another. We talked at length yesterday. Like we, we talked about Hollywood and movies and writing and screenwriting and acting. And, you know, you, you have such this profound career of things going. And we talked about Burke's Law, which was, I think it was your first TV series. Yeah. But before that, I yeah. must point out and to continue sure. what I just said, I was uh, early on. <clears throat> brought into Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers mm -hmm. at that time was everything in terms of TV was coming out of Warner Brothers. Okay. And all the earliest stars, all the people that we would know who were doing those, uh, uh, Bourbon Street Beat, uh, uh, Sunset Strip, all those early Warner Brothers shows that dominated television were all coming, uh, from that particular moment of time and place. And, they would, uh, and I remember uh, Bob Conrad, very, uh, at that point, of course, a young, uh, 
very handsome guy. And he was on uh, Surfside six and, le- six, and later on, he did another show. And he became quite the guy, uh, and he was cast, uh, I guess, in, in several. But I remember <laughs> the very first time, I, I was still in the Army at this point, and I was brought in to Warner Brothers because I said they were everything. Mm-hmm. And to uh, see uh, Bill Orr uh, was the guy that headed the studio. And uh, there was one other guy who was involved in casting. And they brought me in. And as I mentioned, Bob Conrad was sitting next to me. And he'd gone in. And what was unusual about that moment, he was brought in and Warner Brothers cast him in this TV series. They brought me in. He was older than I was. And they brought me in and we talked and messed around. And later on, I got back to my agent and I was able to go to Warner Brothers under a contract and just do different shows. So I did every damn television show you can imagine while in the contract. So they just kind of like mix and match you wherever yeah, they needed suddenly a role. I, they... They'd call me up and uh, tomorrow you'll uh, we have a role for you and, and such and such. And there's somebody, uh, Stephen Scherr, who has been uh, doing some things with me and he's been looking up all these Warner Brothers shows I did, which was a slew of them, and getting the little tidbits from it and, uh, and actually putting something like that together. Huh. Because in a way, uh, as you look back, they were, it's quite remarkable how many shows they were doing. And they dominated television. Well, it's just like you were talking yesterday. There was really only three channels. There was ABC, CBS, and NBC. So none of these streaming services, no HBO, no Fox. So TV was the thing. And And everybody watched it. Yes. Not like today, they could be doing this. They weren't even looking at sports at that point. Even uh, sports was not even televised very much. So you had three channels. And uh, when you were living then, you everybody watched TV like never before or since. Yeah. And you had three channels to choose from, and that was it. And so when I did, uh, for instance, um, when I was on Land of the Giants as an example, and that in Land of the Giants, later on when they – Broadcasted. It was Sunday night, and um, and everybody watched. And so, what I would get up Monday morning, go out to do whatever, get the newspaper, or go to the store. I would say, "Hey, I love that show last. Everybody had seen it." Yeah, it's it's a very unique thing because there are so many choices now. Yeah, that you know, unless there's something super hot that everybody's watching and all your friends are watching it, it's not the same reaction. And yeah. and you were on several things that were like that. And I want yeah. to back up a little bit just because Burke's Law came first. And that was, right? I was, Burke's Law came before yes. Land of the Giants. Because yeah. Land of the Giants is the biggie. That's, you yeah. know, it's really put you on your map. And so let's back up to Burke's Law a little bit because I knew that one. I knew of it. I never watched it. But you showed us a list yesterday of, the immense um, hundreds upon guest hundreds. stars that were like yeah. A-list Remember, celebrities Aaron and Spelling actors. became the best, the biggest producer in the history of Hollywood. Yes, and it that was, was his, his first show. It was his first show. That's amazing. And his talent, if not genius, was he was able to call Jane Russell. 
So you got to do Burke's law. And he, she did. And she called up, I have. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to do a scroll yeah, of that list yeah, and put yeah. it up because. But you know the list. All oh my God. People, oh my God. I was mesmerized and, and when I was about it, going through that it. That list is not maybe less relevant today, but at that time, it was every actor in existence. I, I think it is really relevant in the fact that, I mean, they try to replicate this a little bit nowadays. And I think, you know, of shows like Friends and Seinfeld and even The Big Bang Nothing Theory like it, that, yeah. that brings in A-list celebrities, but yeah. it's nowhere near as extensive no, as no, that, no. that was. Yeah. And so that's amazing. So, and that was, that was more of a supporting role that you had on that one. And well, did no, that... I was the lead. Uh, okay. It was Gene Barry and myself. Uh, but he had a, a history going that mm. was good for the show. And, um, and I was brought in and to be his co-star cohort. So it was, if you look at the titles, it's Gary Conway and, and Gene Barry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as I said, that was my, my first, uh, series, but also people don't realize that at that time I did lots of pilots that were going to be on TV. Mm-hmm. I did, um, that I did two or three, two, at least two of the most expensive pilots ever. Mm-hmm. And, and that's another thing is hard to realize that those pilots you do, very few actually get on, even if they're incredibly successful. Um, I did a pilot at that time with the most prominent director in the world then, and with the a top producer. Um, and we went to Hawaii for about two months, three months, just imagine that, just to do this pilot. And, that's and a it was about the Second World War. It was about this. <laughs> it was about the, uh, what was going on in, in Asia in the Second World War was that that was the subject matter. It was like that other series that was very, very popular, but it was the European front. And I remember going to a, a big deal that ABC put on and where they were showing all the upcoming shows. And when they showed this, everybody cheered it on. And it would have been on the air and I would have been nailed to it had it not been for the Viet, uh, the Vietnam War. Oh. So the Vietnam War came on and the ABC, they were scared to have a film about war in Asia with the Vietnam War going on. Makes sense. Yeah, and yeah. so they canned it to everybody's. Uh, so all that work that went on, I mean, we talked work, it went the years, the months and years. And money. And boom, oh, yes. money. Yeah, Most expensive wow. show ever done. And, and so I, I went through a lot of stuff like that. Hmm. A lot of pilots and things that for one reason didn't, didn't get on the air. And if I had done certain pilots, I would have never obviously done uh, Land of the Giants. So you never know anything. Yeah. And let's any- talk about that because that's a big deal. Land of the Giants is a big deal. And it's it's internationally known. People all over the world love it, watch People it. don't realize, I, ha- I always mention this, it is the most popular TV show ever done from a world perspective. And there's a good reason. It's not just looking up at the ratings. And I was first told this by an executive producer at 20th Century Fox who called me in one day and out of the blue. And he said, I want to have, would you have lunch with me? And I said, yeah, well, uh, yeah. So we went to the commissary at Fox and he had this huge list. I said, you know, most actors never know things like this. And I wanted you to know, I want to give you the list of all the stations that Land of the Giants played on. And uh, there was 
phenomenon. Hmm. And but but it's it's there's a good reason to it. It wasn't acting skills, directing skills. At that point, it was a series that had um, production values. Now, do you think most of the shows that people were doing were taking place in living rooms only, and, and maybe a little more than that? This place, we were on another planet. Yeah. <laughs> We and, were, and you said it was really expensive to make, too. It was the most expensive show ever. Yeah. And it holds that record to this day. Because if you take dollars <clears throat> at that time to now, it, it would be millions of dollars. And it's because of the, the sets and the all the different things that you... Yeah, if you look back at it, yeah, the sets, the uh, doing... Remember, this was before they had... Um, a lot of the techniques today, CGI and all that. Sure. And so the giants had to be real people. We really had to, on a set, actually be talking to them. Yeah. And so all that would be pre-CGI. So there was no... As a matter of fact, the, at Fox then, they had the two experts in that at that time who later on invented CGI that everybody can use today and makes it a lot easier. So we... we all of the stuff you see in, in Giants all had to be actually filmed. I had to talk to the giant. <laughs> it's um, I I went back and watched it, you know, before we came out here because I wanted a little bit of, you know, I wanted to be able to say yes, I've seen it. I totally get <laughs> what you're talking about, and it it is. I mean, you you look at just the sets, and I was trying to kind of get an idea of, you know, um how they produced it. And I don't know anything about TV production, you know, but looking at the sets and the, and yeah. the, and the different props and the people and the angles and the camera. And I'm like, like I can understand them where this could be really expensive and also very um, hard and very dynamic and a lot of work to be able to do all of those things. But the relevance and why it was the most popular in the world <clears throat> had to do with its, its uh, political connotation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, at the time, there was not a, a great sense about that. And I remember that, that example came to me by way of my parents uh, shortly after the show was wrapped. And they had, I think it was Yugoslavia, they had visited. And they were visiting a friends, or friend of friends, and they were invited mm -hmm. over. And they were having this nice little dinner there. And the couple that invited them, suddenly in the middle of the dinner, sprung out of their chairs. And my parents were startled. I said, wait. And they ran across to the TV set and turned on the show. And it was like the Giants. And my parents never mentioned that. That's my boy. Yeah. <laughs> I never said that. And they asked afterwards, why did you, so exciting. And what they said was, because it describes the little man having to go after the big government. So all of the people here saw that as, and we, to this day, it's the little man against the big government. And so those particular countries that are all under the Soviet regime at that point, they really identified with that show. So that show was massively popular for the, for the, and, 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 uh, uh, and a lot of people at that point, didn't get it, but if you go back and look at it, you realize that's what it's really all about. Huh. And, and and the show is based on the great book of all time called Gulliver's Travels, which was Thomas Jefferson's 
favorite book in Gulliver's Travels. That was why he wrote it. It was the little man against the over-dominating government. And that message, I mean, to this day, we look around the world, we're still getting this message. And the show represented that. And it didn't so much in the United States for various reasons, but it did so in the rest of the world. So I know you mentioned you went to um, Beijing a few years ago, quite a few years ago, I think. Going where? To Beijing. Oh, yeah, Beijing, China. And you said that people just went crazy um, when you were over there. Well, to give you an example, Yes. uh, I was invited out of the blue, not only to go to China, Beijing, China, but to do a major speech at Beijing University with 300 people who were all billionaires, the most important people in China, a major speech. And after that, they had events that I can send to you a film mm-hmm. to this day that they filmed. And in that audience, as I said, there were 300 people. They were all the most important people in China. And they would get together one once a year. That's just the way China operates, by the way. They, they, uh, they're billionaires, they're successful people. They keep track of them. And then they, they get them together. Unlike <laughs> here, we, we have no idea of, of doing things like that. And uh, they made such a deal of it, China. And, and, and I don't know of any American who's ever been treated like that, it, giving a major speech at their major university. Who's done that? Not even yeah. a politician. Well, and you got to bring wine. And your wine was yes. a and, your lo- and your lovely it, wife. It, it was one of yes. many, many factors. Yeah. One of many factors. It was a really interesting piece because you had sent me that piece to look through and read and, yeah. and whatever else. And it was a very interesting piece on, you know, just the speech and what you were talking about and, and, I got, and, by the, and the way, reception. I, I got really to respect China then. And to this day, uh, China is, uh, it, when it's ever referred to on television, it's always, well, at China and so on. But I, I found China, and especially the people, to be unusual. First of all, they're... They, they have a love of art I've never seen here in the United States. Really mm. incredible sense of art. And it, even when I was in a hotel, whatever they do, they have a vase of flowers. They have these gorgeous vases. And they had as much attention in the vase itself, decorating it inside as, as the flowers above. Like that, that vase would be filled with beautiful things in China. So no, I, I got, I got to respect China and great with the people. Yeah. And uh, and to this day, I, I I don't think Americans understand China and realize how its influence in the world today. If China, they have the this Belt and Road, and so there are 150 countries in the world today that China spends billions of dollars in supporting. I wish we would do that, we Mm. could do that. And China in the world is very popular. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see why, and I can see how the people are, again, I I wanna stress, because that's what it boils down to. What are the people like? And they were extraordinary. And I never met anyone uh, who I didn't appreciate or who wasn't very respectful all the way around. 
it's, um, you know, looking again, kind of at your career and, you know, kind of going into writing and directing, we literally could talk for hours about all of the stuff that you've mm-hmm. done. I mean, you've showed, shown us a few different clips of, um, films you've been in and films you've written and directed and stuff and all amazing. And we'll put a list of all of that and um, try to get some clips and stuff through. Okay. But the one thing that, um, is very modern today is the fact that, um, you are kind of part of the fantastic four with the Marvel comics. Oh, yes. And you are Mr. Fantastic, correct? Right. Mr. Fantastic. Yes. And what a, what a title, by the way. Mr. Mr. Fantastic. I'm sorry, Mr. Yes. Fantastic. What's your name? <laughs> yes, exactly. So tell me why it's so amazing being Mr. Fantastic. Well, so many ways. It's of now. It is, uh, it has a, a lot of connotations, actually, political, social, environmental. Uh, and I became aware of it because I, on my on my uh, Facebook page, I started getting people at the people, and I haven't I had never even heard of Fantastic Four at this point. Yeah. And people were saying, "Yes, Gary Conway is Fantastic Four. and so there was hundreds and got into the thousands of people before I even had a glimmer who had made the decision that uh, that Alex Ross had based. Fantastic Four on me and my face and figure. Can you imagine that? It's and I was huge, reading this. It's a huge compliment. Well, I didn't think of it as in any way, but what's going on? Yeah. What the hell is going on? People <laughs> I get emails and people. I, I think you would get a little bit kind of like crossed up a little bit. And I'm going, telling you, in yeah. every single email, you go back and look at some of these emails. Everyone, without exception, also, of course, is Gary Conley. As we, there wasn't somebody else that said, no, no, it was Joe Blow. No, no, Gary. And I hadn't even known about it. Well, you have some beautiful books and artwork and stuff that Alex Ross has created with your face, your physique, your body, everything. And it's really quite incredible because comic books are huge. I mean, they were huge back then, but they're massive now with with Comic-Con. And And he has brought it to new heights. Yes. And it brought you very modern. Yeah, yeah. and he, uh, uh, I mean, his work, as you can see, has taken co- the whole idea of yeah. comic into a true art form, even one that I, I'm i in awe of as an artist. I've been yes. painting an artist. I'm, I'm in awe of what he does and what he can do. Yeah, no, they're stunning. And it's a kind of an art that stunning. I couldn't emulate. Yeah. It's, you know, I think that's the beauty of, like, with artistry is that, as as a regular person who's not an artist, you can appreciate it. But when you have an artist that appreciates another yeah. artist, it's another different level. Right. And um, I just I love kind of ending on that with like the Hollywood piece of it because you don't have to go to the studio every day to be Mister yeah. Fantastic. You get to sit here in your lovely, comfortable but remember, home. He, he, Alex yes. Ross never called me or did anything. Yeah. Well, I learned about it slowly and surely because there were just endless people. On uh, picking up on on web pages, whatever, and said, "No, it's definitely Gary Conway. It's always Gary Gary Conway." What the hell? I never posed it. It, it was yeah. so. It was so uh, out of from outer space. Which goes back to Land of the Giants. Yeah, 
Look at everything comes back to the land of the giants yeah, on, way, on some level. Yeah, in a way, Alex yeah. Ross uh, did. He loved. Yeah, he liked the imagery in Atlanta. And, and by the way, um, uh, uh, Deanna, Mun was the land of the giants. Mm. He based the girl on her. So he was a big so fan of the took, show. He took two people from one show to base that whole thing on. That's and amazing. if you look at that you'll see it's based on her look. And unfortunately, she was a lovely, wonderful girl who died uh, way too young, died several years ago. I would love for her to be around now, to enjoy yeah. this this idea. We could have a lot of fun together thinking about it. Um, but yeah, it was based on her look, and he's talked about it. She had a, a unique look in her face that he found would have to be that heroine. Mm. Isn't that interesting? It is great. What he, what, he, how, what he picked up on. So I really want to segue into why we're really here, which is to talk about the wine. And oh, so the wine. I the, it was something secret. Oh, no. Not, <laughs> not yet. Maybe we'll find something secret. We're going to talk about some wine. So the interesting thing is, and um, is that Land of the Giants, big thing, um, was that you crash landed in the first episode. And right before that, you had your own little venture into the vineyard um, ownership that had something very similar to I, do with I've that. I become an expert in crash landing. Yes. And walking away from them. Yeah. Yes. So I really want to talk about that story because right. it's so incredibly um, poignant and dramatic and very theatrical. Well, yes. it, uh, I'm going to say that in, in, in trying to be as as even-minded about it, that it was a crash landing here in Paso Robles that began the entire wine business in Paso Robles. And <clears throat> what happened, uh, I was living in Los Angeles, and that was during the smoggiest period, and I could not stand the smog. It drove me crazy. And I, I was talking to a guy on the set about it. I said, this... This is, I got to, and he said, you ought to go up to Paso Robles. My brother lives there. And he said, the air, as you saw the air, the air. Oh, it's was, amazing yeah, up here. Yes. It's, it's perfect. And yes. I said, I'm going. And, you know, within three or four days, I, uh, I got my car and he came with me because we would stay at his brother's house and we loaded up with people, drove. That was before the highways. It took a long time. We drove up to Paso Robles. I went out to the rent, and I completely went crazy. Good, as crazy. an artist yes. and as a person wanting to breathe, to breathe the air, and also for the I had never seen. And if people come to Paso Robles, you see it. The horizon that's as detailed. There's no atmospheric fuzz on the horizon like you see everywhere else. You see that in paintings and photographs. It was sharp, and I was dumbstruck by it at the time huh. and being able to uh, breathe. And, and but so what happened was a real estate guy up here at the time knowing uh, brought me out to look at some property in this helicopter. And I remember that day because uh, I lived in Beverly Hills and West LA and Santa Monica and we went out for property. You always, every real estate person had his Cadillac and he always got in the Cadillac. 
And so I figured I was going to get this Cadillac. And we went down to his garage. I saw a Cadillac there, believe it or not. But they get and right next to it was a helicopter. So no, no, we're not. We're going to go in the helicopter. And I thought, man, that's cool. That's uptown. That's real cool. Yeah. I'll go in the helicopter. And so we got the helicopter up. Marin was there. His wife was there. And she smiled and I smiled. I said, hey, we'll see you in a little bit. And we got in this helicopter. And we lifted up. And this was kind of in town where he lived in this beautiful little area. And we lifted up. And suddenly we were going over mountains and you don't realize how many mountains and many mountains and hills there are in the west side of Pazarabas. And so we started going over these, we went over and we finally went over this one hill and we were high and there was this valley and I looked at this valley and it was completely green at the time. They were growing barley and in the distance was Big Sur. It was mesmerizing to look at this view. And he said to me as I was looking, and I was captured like I'd never been before. And he used the words, this is it. And I said, is this the land you're talking about? And coming from Beverly Hills and Santa Monica, when I said I wanted property, I was anticipating an acre of land. Yeah. An acre of land is a big deal. Yeah. If Especially coming Beverly, from yeah. L. Yeah. If you buy an acre of land in West LA, you're going to spend several million dollars. For sure. So that's all I thought I would. And so I thought I'm looking at an acre and I'm trying to figure out what acre is he talking <laughs> about? And he said, no, 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 no. It's the whole valley. Oh my. That's for sale. And it was just, he mentioned it just got on the market. And God in the market was a relative term because it was the original pioneer family. So they developed this starting 150 years ago, this piece of land. So when he said just got in the market, I thought of something they had bought and redid maybe a couple total, of years ago. Total different, different yeah, total different definition. Yes. And so in a moment there, everything was changed in my mind. Forget the acre anymore. We're looking at a valley. And that's where I went to breathe. And it was, I could tell one thing, that the air was fantastic because everything was so clear. And just as I was adjusting the story correctly. In your head. Uh, in my head. And looking at it, there was an explosion. And I thought, what in the hell is that? And he had hit his huge high tension wires. Wow. And this thing started going crazy, the helicopter, going around and around. And and fortunately, we we're on top of a hill and it was a valley. There he is. Yeah. There's the helicopter. <laughs> yeah, you can hear it, yeah. And so we, we were on high and on a hill. And so there was a certain amount of time for him to maneuver all the way down and, and to help so the crash wouldn't be deadly and, and maybe it was survivable by taking all that time. So I, so that time also was for me still looking out of the valley and I knew we were goners. And I said to myself, if I live, 
I'm going to buy this place. And when we crashed, it was a horrible crash. And the helicopter, by the way, didn't survive. It was totally ruined. And we got out of it, the burning helicopter and all that. And the poor guy who owned the land was selling it, had to call all kinds of the, police, the fire department and the police. And he was going nuts on it. And it took up all this time. And, uh, but I had survived. That was the important part. And then we got into his truck. This was maybe two hours later, even longer than that, his truck. And he brought me with Archie Hansen was a real estate man, well-known. And we're going back to his house where his wife and Marion were waiting for us. But can you imagine we had just gone up in a helicopter and we're going to be back in 20 minutes. His two hours later. Yeah. He knew something terrible had happened. Yeah, that's a panic for a wife. Yeah, for sure. and so when we drove up uh, to the hill where Marion was and his wife, Archie's wife, and I burst in with Archie into, into the his living room with Marion and, and his wife, the first thing I said was, because she wanted to say, where the hell have you been? We've been, we're scared to death. We've been calling them. So the first thing I said, hey, I found this great place and we're going to buy it. <laughs> yes. And she knew I was completely nuts and she couldn't even begin to tell me, you know, we've been scared to death. We're sure you're dead. Yeah. Are you alive? Yes, I think I am. Yes. It's, it's such a and great story. That's how that began. It's such a great story right. because... I love the fact that you crash landed on the place that ultimately has way, been just, life changing on so many it, levels. It was right after that, uh, literally in months, when I told you when the agent called and said, uh, Erwin Allen, like you to do his big major series. And I said, well, uh, you know, whatever. And he said, he wants to see you and wants to meet you. And, um, and it was at Fox, and he had this. He was doing all the all the series at that point. He was the guy, and I went. Uh, he, his so-called office was a huge building, and I went in to see him in his office. And his office was bigger than his house, and he was in the middle of it. And there maybe I swear to God, twenty people sitting there. Twenty people waiting for you. To, for the interview. Oh, but that's the way he operated. Got it. It was. He was the biggest. Big, there big was and grandiose. Way. And so I'm doing an interview. There's going to be, I'm going to be interviewed by 20 people. And, uh, but he had already made the conclusion he was going to have me be in the series. So the interview was really for me to know what the hell was going on. So the first thing he said, uh, I'm doing the show called Land of the Giants. And I said, he starts with this horrific crash and all that. And I said, I'm an expert on crash landings. I had just crashed yes. on the property. And that's how the interview began. And it's all great timing. And yeah. it's, it's really lent to the beginning of what a beautiful story and a great story this actual piece of property is that you had mentioned. It is was a pioneered piece of property. So no one had really done any manipulations to it to that point in time. They were um, growing barley, running cows, you know, whatever it was that they were doing. And, and there was, a remember, on the west side of Paso Robles, yes. which is the premium, premium area now of the world, <clears throat> there wasn't one single vine, grapevine planted, not one. You were, you were the, you were the man that brought, yeah. that brought the vines in, um, and 
that's such a, again, a great title to have yeah. because this area is phenomenal. I think, what'd you tell me? There's 350 wineries? Probably close it, to 400. 400 right? wineries in the area, but you put the very first vine yeah, and, and if you go to most areas, really in the West Coast, they all really began after what went on here because this led the, led the day. Uh, uh, as California has always been, it's been the agricultural um, mecca. mecca. Yes, Mecca is a great of the, word. of the world. Yeah, really, it's and, an amazing place. Yeah, and let's kind of get into um, the vineyard because we got wine to talk about, and we have olive oil to talk about as well. But mm-hmm. but the vineyard is very special in the fact that um, the makeup of the land. And we talked right. about terroir a little earlier, terroir, however you want to say it, and that what that is for you know the. Um, the vineyard and the wine well, is is really quite ama- what's amazing. Interesting. I ended up buying the property. There were no vines planted any anywhere whatsoever, and uh, so I began barley, and I even got into cattle. That's what you said because you went bull picking. You went yeah. to pick your bulls, <laughs> which I think is yeah. so great. Yes, and uh, and. And at one point, I, it had a lot to do with Marion too. We uh, thought about why not plant a vine. She she really is the one who wanted to do that because she had Miss America visited France, and the best part of the visit was wine country and having wine. And she immediately thought, uh, "That's if we're going to have a farm, we don't want a barley." That's, she doesn't want to come up every weekend. To look at the barley. It's not very romantic. No, no. She wanted yes. to look at the vineyard and then taste the wine from the vineyard. And uh, and uh, so that so that's how that that all began from from really Marion suggesting that. And then um, that's how it all started. So it was Marion's Miss America experience in in France, which. Let's, I mean, let's, she wasn't able to join us today. And so we're missing a lot of, you know, kind of her story, but it's, she went to Europe several, a couple times and getting to Europe at that point in time in the late fifties was, was very difficult. So it was a huge treat for her to go to France and she had never had alcohol at that point in time either. And so wine was really mesmerizing and kind of changing for her her, as well. her, Her very first alcohol occurred while she was Miss American France. Yeah. And they had offered some wine then. And coming from Manning, South Carolina, you don't drink a drop. And she didn't even, as Miss America, but how are you going to resist? Ramoni Conti. Oh, for sure. You know, a, yes. a bottle of Ramoni Conti. And she did, and it really hit her as something interesting. And, uh, and uh, so that all began. But I have to give credit to Justin. Because what happened uh, after the crash landing and having the land and all that, I went into a, I happened to go in the bank in Beverly Hills. And there was a banker there. And we just began chatting, as you do. And he mentioned, uh, he mentioned that, uh, uh, I don't know exactly how it began, but I started talking about this property and how unique and, and I had a glimmer that it could be unique from a vineyard point of view. And the minute I, I mentioned that, he, he, Justin got really wildly interested. 
And so much so that he told me, I want to grow the great Bordeaux grape. And I'm, that's my, my whole life's ambition, even though he was a, a banker at the time. And he was on his way to Napa. And it is how much I knew at that time. He started talking about, I'm going to go to Napa and I'm going to do the great Bordeaux and the winery. And I said, I said to him, at that point I had read one book on vineyards because it landed. And I read something significant in the book. And, and that book is still around here somewhere. And it said, you don't plant a vine in France unless it's in limestone. And I knew we had limestone on the west side of Paso Robles. And it was the only limestone in all of California. Can you imagine that? Yeah. The only limestone. Yeah. And we had a ton of it. All, when I say a ton, <laughs> the tons were all over the place of limestone. And I naively said to him, why would you go to Napa? They don't have limestone there. And I said on top of that, they also don't have the hills and dales. Important. And he perked up like crazy. And, and I started telling him about Paso Robles, and he said, I've got to come and see the place. Willie came to see the place. At that point, I owned 320 acres. And he begged, begged, begged to buy some. But you couldn't just, uh, a few acres, because there were, there were actually two, uh, particular lots. So I had to sell them half. And at 320, I sold him 160. And fortunately, he began right away. And the minute he did it, I said, Ben, I'm in this too. And so we planted the very first grapes. So was your grand plan to do just vineyard? Or did you have more ideas in the works? You know, I'm not sure how that happens. I think when you plant a vineyard, it's in your mind that you're going to maybe make wine. But all of this was so new and different, and it was still agriculturally uh, uh, relevant in every way. And for me, I had already experienced the agriculture of the annual plant, the barley and and uh, other yearly plants like mm -hmm. that, and. And when you you have a crop, and at the end of your crop, you got to start all over again the following year. And I thought, man, you plant a vine, that's it forever. That vine says it's there for a hundred years. That's for me. So that's what attracted me to it. <laughs> yes. So the incredible moment of time in all of what we're talking about, and maybe we'll pursue it uh, more, was uh, getting the knock on the door, and on the other side. Was a man who introduced himself as Professor Tom Rice, who turned out to be the, uh, at Cal Poly, the head of the viticultural department. And he had a rock in his hand. And he asked me if he could go further in the vineyard. He said, because this is an unusual rock. And I don't remember exactly the conversation, but it was unusual because it was a volcanic rock. And he knew, as a geologist, as a uh, knowing everything about the land and the area, that there were no volcanoes in the area. The first volcano was way the hell out towards Morro Bay. And every, but every 
earth scientist knows where volcanoes are. And suddenly he sees this rock and he knows there are no volcanoes on this property. So he asked me, I'd like to go further in. I want to know where this rock comes from. And as he went further in, a few hours later, he came back and he said, you have volcanoes on this property. What a, what a thing to hear. Yeah. I mean, and you're kind well, of like, it, what? You don't know how to yeah. react. Yeah, for sure. If someone said, you have a volcano in your backyard. That's what it was. Yeah. It was literally in our backyard. Crazy. And I thought, oh my God, is it going to erupt? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> better get better on? insurance. And yes. then he pointed out that the three volcanoes were, uh, you could see two of them. So the two hills, when you were out there, if you notice on the left, there's this large hill. On the right, there's a large hill. Those are volcanoes. And, but the middle, there's no hill. And that's a volcano that ever rose up. Huh. So you learn a lot of yeah. interesting things about volcanoes. And these volcanoes, he mentioned, were... They have to guess at it a bit, but 26 million years old. I don't even know what that number means. Yeah. It's just such an abstract number. And he explained yeah. they came out of the sea. And because where you went through yesterday in Passaropos, the Pacific coast came right up to 101. Hmm. So all of what we consider the west side of Passaropos and all of that was underwater for millions of years. There was no west side. Yeah. And so when the west, when that began to uh, come to the surface, so to speak, so did these three volcanoes. And the only ones in the entire area. And they're in my backyard. Is that? It's a hell of a backyard feature. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I, we got talking about it, and I realized something that I tied in. Because when we bought the property, we planted, the very first thing we did was plant a garden. And I got this wonderful man, a Japanese man, who was a, uh, an expert, expert in, in growing, growing anything, growing vegetables especially, and brought him in to, to do this fabulous garden, which he did. And we sat there as the garden was growing, and we're going to enjoy this great salad. The only trouble is the garden died. Hmm. And, and so you can imagine bringing an expert to grow a garden in this beautiful land. Why would it all die? Why did it die? Are you interested? I am. Oh, okay. Is it a short story or a long story? Oh, it's shorter. Okay. I can make a short. Okay. okay. It died because we fertilized it. Oh. And if you are on volcanic land, which is all fertilization, really. Yeah. And you fertilize, you, you overkill. You put too the, much too into much it. Too much of all that going on. Makes and, sense. And we had a, that was something we had to learn. And to this day, and, I, and you can ask anybody, you know, to this day, our vineyard has never been fertilized. Now you can go all over the world, you can talk to them, and you'll never find an example of a vineyard now 40, 45 years old that has never been fertilized. And that's crazy because that's just, it's unheard of. And, yeah, unheard of, and, and we've talked about it um, as, and we need to get into the mineral content and the dirt and the soil because it's so incredibly unique right there. Yeah. And, and because of those volcanoes and, you know, I would have never thought about it, you know, until getting into the wine industry, but 
between the Missoula floods and the volcanoes and this and that and the other, it does amazing stuff to the, the ground, you know, with, I mean, even at our property, you find, we find seashells every once mm-hmm. in a while and we're, you know, 800 feet above, you know, sea level. Remember, if you're a plant yeah. or a human being, the most important thing for a plant or a human being, especially a vine plant that lives as long as a human being, is are you growing in ground that has minerals? Yes. Because minerals are what uh, create the survival of the mm-hmm. plant and whatever that plant is growing, its value is the minerals it has. So the value that we have in drinking wine or or eating vegetables, doing what the minerals that we bring as minerals, really life and death. That's what health is all about. Without it, you're dead. No, for sure. And you've told me and you've showed me the studies, and there's been studies upon studies upon studies yeah, of of all your yeah. you know of all your ground, and you have this. By the way, studies produced by 300 scientists from all over the world, and if you go to the website, you see pictures of them coming in busloads. Because there's never a place anyone has ever known this like this, where, where you have ground 40, 45 years that are growing things and then, and then we put fertilizer on it because it makes everything pure. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I cannot wait to, you know, um, really dive into it tomorrow yeah. when we go back out there and then really enjoy it. Right. Um, so, you know, when we're talking about the vineyard and we're talking about like all this amazing soil and these volcanoes, what does it do to the wine? Well, you, you see, what are we drinking today when we drink wine? Are we drinking the grape in its natural form, produce wine like the Greeks did, or are we drinking a concoction? Mm-hmm. And if you look up, there's a chart I can send it to you, I think it may be on the website, that w- the average bottle of wine draws from 85 different chemicals that are flavor chemicals. Because without minerals provide flavor, no minerals, no flavor. Yeah. And so you have to put in something that duplicates flavor, which by the way, the the scientists that do that and advise on that are very good at that. Mm -hmm. So the food you're buying and we're eating, the vegetables, if they were on their own, they, they, actually they wouldn't live because they wouldn't have enough minerals. They, 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 they've learned though that if you, you only have to put in something like three or four of the major minerals and the plants will live. Mm-hmm. But in, in terms of our great health, we're getting almost no minerals. And there's a lot of, a lot of endless studies on this. There's, a, there's a lot to get that studies, goes into that the, for sure. It takes, they should, if we're eating food properly, getting health, they, you have to draw on at least 12 different minerals. That's the long understood science, 12 minerals. The minerals that are in this bottle of wine are 60. There's 60 minerals in this bottle of wine. Yeah. And there's no and other it's a food delicious on this bottle planet, of wine too, by the way. On this planet yes. that has anything close to that. Hmm. It's, it's really, I mean, you know, I did a lot of reading and, you know, you'd sent me some great stuff for me to look at and, you know, watch and whatever. And I just really didn't know the prolificness of it until we really started talking about it. And then we had the wine yesterday and I'm like, like, whoa, this is so incredibly good. And remember, it's, it's good. Again, I have to always yeah. add to it because we don't 
add anything to it. Yes, it's, it's pure and, and, wine in its natural right, form. Right, so if you're even Nothing comparing vineyard, one against the yes. other, it's a little bit unfair because one has no add-ins. Yep. And, and they're clever with their the flavors they put in wines. Are, can be pretty damn good. Yeah, no, for sure. And yeah. I mean, I think there's something to be said when you're looking at, you know, a place that is um, um, doing their agriculture in responsible ways, they're, whether it's biodynamics, organics, you know, whatever, and really trying to create a pure product in yeah. general. You have been blessed with your, you know, your your airplane crash, or sorry, helicopter crash, <laughs> and then everything else that you have found this amazing piece of property that has then helped you produce this beautiful bottle of wine, mm. but you also have Tuscan olive trees on the property yep. too that we have to talk about because it's, it, it goes along with the health um, and the vitality that you were just talking and, and about. very much like, like the yeah. wine when we got into it. No one around here really understood what wine was good. Why they were, I don't know what they were drinking where that wine, I think it came by way of, Europe somewhere, you know, they got wine in. And so that was a whole adventure that had to begin at the beginning. And olive oil was even more so. Because when I first came here, I don't even remember, uh, I think there was olive oil, but that olive oil was a fake olive oil, it was canola oil. And even now to this day, and there are no laws against it, at least in recent times, that uh, they can put in olive oil from Italy and it's canola oil. Canola oil, by the way, is carcinogenic. Mm-hmm. So when you know, and canola is so much of our food. So canola, you know what that means? You know what that means, canola? No idea. Canadian Oil Company. Oh. It's not a plant. See, I learned something new every day. I had no idea. There is yes. a kind of a plant, but yeah. mainly it's just made up stuff. Yeah. Chemicals. Yeah. I, um, you had told me that you planted the first Tuscan olive right. oil trees. And we are going to try this because I don't know if I've ever, not right now, because right. I, and, I, I'd way, end up spilling it all over the front uh, of myself. Again, that happened. So, I, yeah. Growing up in a Sicilian family, I got yeah. pneumonia at age four. And if you live in a, in a Sicilian family and you have pneumonia, especially in those days and be, and for hundreds of thousands of years before, your cure is olive oil. It's, and you were telling me that Roman soldiers also carried olive oh, oil. Oh, they all carried. Yeah, yeah. As not. They carried wine and olive oil. And it was not just yes. they were going to have this yeah. a wonderful time all the time. It was for their health. Yeah. Which and, is, and by the way, the Romans yeah. soldiers were very healthy. That's why they conquered all of Europe. Huh. That okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's um I didn't realize I mean, I knew olive oil was healthy for you, but I didn't know the depth of health of what um of what it does, like good olive pure olive well, oil look up, does. Uh, it, you can look up at all time. Look up how significant the olive is, but even look up how significant the skin of the olive is. The skin of the olive is one of the most precious health uh, there is. And then seed of the olive, olive seed oil. So the seed, so it has all these, but nothing Different even comes layers and components. to the olive huh. Yeah, as, as a health. Well, and you were saying that your grandma also, you always had wine on your table. Oh, yeah. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Yeah. And I've told everybody that wine for breakfast is not a bad idea. But, you know, because of the minerals and, well, just because it tastes good is more, I guess, where but I was going want, with it. And it doesn't the, have to be a mimosa. That's what we're doing here. We <laughs> yes. want people to understand it's yes. not just having wine. It's having the minerals in Absolutely. wine. Absolutely. 
that's important for breakfast. And if it's I, just regular wine, it's just chemicals. No, forget breakfast yes, with it. Yes, it has to be good, yeah. wholly produced wine. And good, that has, good means minerals at yes. the end of the day. And you also said that minerals mean flavor, which I didn't realize right. as well. And so that's probably why this tastes so good. That's where yes. all flavor comes from. Where do you think flavor just, uh, well, most of the things we eat today, especially wine, flavor is coming from chemicals. But in the real natural world, flavor comes from minerals. Yeah. That's what produces flavor. Those incredible minerals of which there are hundreds mm-hmm. in the, in the ground produce the flavor. Yeah. And that's why when, as most of our food today, especially our olive trees are grown in no mineral ground, they have no flavors. And so the flavor they have to do our chemical flavors. They have to add to it. Hmm. It's crazy. Well, I can't wait to try it. But I want to kind of dip back to wine because I've only tried the Cab Franc. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming that you're growing more than Cab Franc in the yeah, vineyard. Yeah, we grow, uh, we did right from the beginning, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, uh, Cabernet Franc, and also we grew Chardonnay back then. Mm-hmm. We don't, and right now with the Justin people, they, uh, have chosen not to grow Chardonnay. Uh, they have other uh, avenues. So they, the vineyard now is Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, uh, mainly not even Pinot Noir, interesting. They're, hmm. they're concentrating on, on that part. We should probably tell everybody the name of the winery too, because we've talked about vineyard and you're acting, but... Carmody McKnight. There we go. Is the name of the winery. Yes. It's and on it, here it's somewhere. On the, I don't it's, it's not on the front because this is the, yeah, the this back. is the foundation wine, and yeah. so. Um, so, but, so, but all the, our wines are Carmody McKnight, and the name comes from my family. Uh, the that was my I'm half Sicilian, them Irish comes from the Irish side, Carmody, and comes from Marion's name. So when we decided, what do we name our wine? It only occurred to me that. Since Mary and I were both involved in this fully and devotedly, it would have to include both our names. For sure. But I don't know of any other winery anywhere in Paso Robles. And you could tell me of any. And usually the wife has a lot often more to do with it Mm -hmm. than the husband. But he never bothers using the wife's name. So as far as I know. You're a good husband, Gary. Well, it never occurred to me if there are two people... Man and woman, both involved, and yeah. you, you become involved. You become involved in every way, emotionally. You got to stop doing things. You got to go, and, and you're working together on this. So when you name it, you just name it after yourself. Isn't the wife an important factor? And in of some course. ways, maybe in my case, Marion was even a more important factor. So she does not going to be. Named in it, and, and I never even thought about it that way. I just thought that's what you name. If you're both involved in it, you name it. Sure, it's like a and, and we, and partnership. Pick yeah. our names, and we didn't just come up with a any old name because we think it's important. Like as a painting, that when I say who did that painting, I don't say Joe. Blow. There's a there's a name which happens to be my name. Yeah, that's who did the painting, and it's a lot of work to do a painting. A lot of work to do a bottle yeah. of wine. And There's so, a lot of work that goes into wine. In a way, yes. it should be named after the person doing that. Yes. And not just a made-up name. Well, I am super um, interested, because we've talked about this a couple of times, about how Hollywood responded to you making wine. Because you've gone from this 
big action, you know, guys, guys, very masculine, doing these great shows. And now you're making wine. And how, how was the reaction to that? How was your first trip to drop off a bottle of wine at the bottle shop? Well, it was because of Hollywood that it all began. Cause I think I told you mm-hmm. that, um, on the, on the set of Burke's Law. Yeah. I was, uh, talking and complaining. I don't know whether we've covered this, but, um, already, but I'll just mention it briefly about the smog just driving me crazy. Oh yeah. Yep. Okay, we talked so, about that. And then we, yep. so we ended up here and that's what, that's where it all began. And, uh, and, and the wine took this natural course. So when we were making wine, uh, there was nobody else in Hollywood or any other place that was making wine. And by the way, I think I don't, that I, I, I want to definitely tell you when we, uh, grew the grape to make wine, uh, after waiting for five, six years for the grapes to grow to make the wine. Takes a while. That's a long time. And so I did, of course, with Justin and Justin made his wine and he was into that in a big way, at least commercially. That's what he was all about. And, and I was not in particular, nor was Marion. But we decided since he was making wine that we'd make some wine. Mm-hmm. Make, makes perfect sense. House. Sure. And so we made the wine. And we bottled it, and and then one day I said to Marion, I said, you know, I want to bring this wine that we just made down to that we were living in Santa Monica there. And it was a wine shop. And just for fun of it, I just want to bring this bottle of wine because it was I thought pretty damn good, and go to the wine shop. And so I thought that was a great idea, and I, I followed up on it. So I got the bottle of wine. Next time we went down to L.A. where we were living most all the time. I went into Santa Monica to a wine shop I knew, and I go in with this bottle and I say, here, look. And he said, what's this? He said, so this is a, a bottle of wine that I made, created, and started out with the vineyard. I created. And he looked at me and he said, where does that come from? And I said, Paso Robles. And he said, Paso Robles? <laughs> like, what in the hell is that place? Are you kidding me? Was that, that was the reaction? Yeah. That, that there was, the idea of wine from Paso Robles would be a joke. I mean, it's not Napa. It's not. France. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paso Robles is a cowboy town. The hell, they know anything about making. So that was the reaction. And it's taken a long time to, to go from that. That was the reaction everybody would have made. And now we have a slightly different reaction. For sure. Yeah. So did he actually open the bottle while you were there and try it or? I, I, I think so. I honestly, I don't remember that moment. Uh, but I think we tried it and, uh, and wine can be for anyone at any time more of an attitude too. Cause you could, mm-hmm. he, sure. in his head, oh, possible they can possibly make wine. So he's tasting the wine. And he's tasting his negative pasta. attitude. That's right. Yeah. You gotta be careful. About yes. That. Yeah. So I don't remember whether it was this, like something he would say, my God, I've never had wine like this before. I'm not, I'm sure that didn't happen. If anything, he was probably courteous. Yes. Said, and, yeah, this is um, fine. And then pushed to the side. Right. And, yeah. And I went back, of course, but the rest is history. Regardless. It's, it's turned out okay for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although 
And I, I'm so glad that we're talking in this program because the main story that benefits all, and that's what we're talking a lot about, is what makes great wine a great minerals. At the end of the day, this is where all flavors come from. And, uh, and wine and even following up on the vegetables and everything else, the food, if it's, has minerals in it, it, it is what is going to guarantee that you'll be healthy, which we get none anymore from our vegetables. There are no more minerals. Uh, I think there was a study in, that was in, back in 1920 of all the farmlands in the United States, and they couldn't find any minerals. Yeah, a lot and of... And so the only minerals you get are the, the basic few required so that it will grow. But the natural minerals, very difficult, and, and they're quickly and easily, uh, after a few <laughs> generations, leave. Now, we can never... Our minerals are there for another million years because the the uh, uh, the magma from the volcano and the volcano go down way down in the earth so you can in fact the the deeper you dig the more minerals you get huh. and we have minerals I've not mentioned this other incredible minerals a mineral called calcium montmorillonite that was discovered on our property it goes beyond although I think the there is some effect on on the on the uh, on, on the magma, but calcium monmelanite is a, and I of course learned this much later, but is a soil that is called in French. You can look it up. It's called the wonder soil in France, and it doesn't exist anywhere else in the United States except on our property. Look at you. Calcium yes. and like, look at all the wonder I, soil. I love all, I mean, just everything that you have done has and, just kind and, of and all cal- circled back to the Mennonite coolest things. has the most incredible array of minerals. Mm-hmm. We have 60 minerals in our soil that could end up in that wine. And the calcium melanite, the wonder soil. And anybody can look at stuff that's worth reading about and knowing about. And then they discovered, they being the scientists, that there was even an additional soil, and, and I call it, that was even more profound than calcium melanite. I call it super calcium melanite. This all, again, you'll find on our mm. website. But these things don't exist anywhere else that mm. anybody knows about. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's one property that was a, that you had to crash land for all this to start? Yeah, it was kind of a, a freak happening yeah. all the way around. Um, we haven't really talked a lot about Marion. She couldn't join us today, which is unfortunate because she's got this amazing um, backstory and history with being Miss America. And she was a marathon runner and um, she carried the Olympic torch, which I saw. Um, but because of her Miss America um, affiliates, you have a foundation that um, is all about. Um, and we devoted immediately to women's scholarships. Yes. Because which I think is a the, phenomenal. The problem of our, well, here's the thing. And it's, and this is something that we all must fight for, and that is education. And I think that's a uh, an incredibly important part that everybody in this country, maybe above everything else, should be aware of. Well, this, what this is, is uh, all of it, every bit of it, mm-hmm. is devoted to, we had to concentrate on women, could be men, mm-hmm. 
on women getting an education. So this is Marion's beautiful yeah. image on the front of the bottle. Yeah, and everything we make from that and the olive oil goes to women's education. Yeah. And I know we talked about doing some fun stuff afterwards, you know, with, um, you know, really introducing people to the foundation, to, you know, the winery, to the wine, to the olive oil. And, um, it's just, it's just really incredible. So. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, after all these years, which you've described, uh, making wine and going, trying to sell wine and do that, I, I just one day said, that's the end of that for me. Yeah. I've been there, done that. And so I think it's important that we continue the wine because of all the story about the greatness of it. But I wasn't going to continue it for profit, frankly. It just, uh, just that has left me completely. And, um, and I thought, uh, how better, uh, than we have Mary in there to, uh, and, oh, yes. And why women's education? Because Mary and I, when we met, Marion had a scholarship the Miss America Foundation. And so the only reason we met was because of her Miss America scholarship. See, again, another serendipitous piece. At UCLA. Yeah. And if it wasn't a scholarship for women, we would have never met. So if I'm going to do this, what better to devote it to? Absolutely. Well, I really want people to be, to understand where you're at and where to find you to be Mm -hmm. able to buy the wine buy the olive oil to try the wine. Um, do you know all of And remember, I want to reiterate again, the money that this bottle we receive goes to women's education. In the meantime, you're getting the healthiest food. And I'm telling you that in the world today, there is nothing, nothing in this world and any scientist who knows anything will tell you this, and Tom Rice will tell you, that is better for you than these. what's in these two bottles. Yeah, those two products right because, there. Because, again, it's 60 minerals that you're taking in. Yeah. It's, I, again, I'm going to be so healthy after this. We're going to get some wine, we're going to get some hard, olive oil, it, and I'm going to be hard, healthy. You know, this takes yes. concentration because yeah. where you live and where you buy and what you buy. Oh, for sure. And you have to be you, very you, you aware. You can look at it. Uh, oh, that's expensive oil. It, it's very, very expensive to produce a real olive oil. Mm-hmm. I mean, just go out and try it. I Grow ha- an olive tree for five to ten years. Yes, I actually have and a And then client how many who, olives? By the way, yes. they don't produce olives every year. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. I have a client that just bought a property that has olive trees on it, and he was dumbfounded by how expensive the harvest was. Yeah. Just the work on the harvest. Yeah. So I did want to read the back of this really quick because it was um it really kind of summarizes this. This is forever um the Miss American Foundation, forever dedicated to the Miss American Foundation, empowering women through career resources and scholarships. And I just think that's amazing. So yeah. so thank you for everything that you do. Thanks for meeting with us. Oh, that um, was and this has just really. been such a treat and it's been so fun yeah. and we're going to drink the wine and try the olive oil. And, and, and again, I want to thank you for caring about these things. Yes. You came down here because of our story, which is really a message at the end of the day as you, you're for sure. And, and although I just can't go out and, and beat my horn and you should be doing this, you should be doing that, you should be doing this. We've presented that in this program. Absolutely. And so I, I, I feel grateful that uh, this program will go out and whoever sees it, I just hope 
they bring intelligence to it and understand and perhaps go even deeper into the subject because what we just presented, as far as I'm concerned, is the most important subject matter there is. If there's anything more subject, more important than our health and the nation's health, I don't know what it is. Yeah. No, I think I think we got it all all yeah. nicely wrapped up and hopefully entertaining. So and you have such a great backstory to kind of put with it that it's just the whole thing is very poetic and very very Hollywood. Uh, thank you again, Gary, for all your time, all your all your knowledge, all your hospitality with letting us pretty much wreck your living room and then also introducing us to such lovely products and really um, educating us. So um, until next time, um, Wine Crush over and out. Thank you again for joining us for our Wine Crush road trip to the Central California coast. Not only did we get to talk to the very amazing, very charismatic legend of Hollywood, Gary Conway, but we also got to explore this amazing location that we had no idea even really existed. So now that we have explored the restaurants, eaten at several of them, drank several of the libations, cocktails, and wines, tried the olive oil, chatted with the people, and really spent um, not enough time out here, um, we now understand exactly how special this hidden gem of the Central California coast is. And you can guarantee we're gonna be back. And you never know, there might be another adventure in the wings. We'll see you again on our next adventure.